I'm going to read from Luke 24, the resurrection morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly the two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, asked the men. He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and raised on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seem like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. God, I thank you for this Easter morning. And I thank you that we get to dig into these scriptures and be reminded that you indeed are risen. Lord, be with Justin as he speaks and shares. And God, just allow his words to penetrate our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, he is risen. If you don't know, for many generations, the church has said on Easter, he is risen, and we respond with he is risen indeed. So I'll do it again, see what we can get here. He is risen. Okay, one more time here. Let's with some, you know, some, you know. He is risen. He is risen. Woo! Okay, come on. Here we go. Happy, happy Easter. Welcome to Restoration. My name is Justin Rohr. I get the pleasure of being the pastor here. And uh, if you're here for the first time, we're really glad to have you. Um, we we kept the snakes in the closet today, um, so we wouldn't uh, wouldn't scare you off. We're very grateful for the Lyric for allowing us to keep the snakes in the closet. It's a liability issue, but we, we, uh, we go with it. Now, we're a, we're a church, we're about a, a little over a year old, and uh, we're all about what our name says. We're all about restoration. Our mission is really simple, as you're going to see it on the screen. It's that Jesus is restoring people who restore the world, and our our mission is just to join him. We believe that. We believe Jesus is always in the process, always restoring people like us. And as he restores us, we then share and bring that restoration into the world. That shapes everything that we do. You see that in Pampering Pathways. You see that in Easter egg hunts. We are about restoration. We're about bringing new life wherever we go. And what we celebrate today really is the basis of that. The resurrection of Jesus is why we believe in in restoration. We believe that that is bringing about new life wherever Jesus is. He's always bringing new life. We believe he's alive today. He was resurrected from the dead. And that's not a metaphor. See, the central belief, the central reality of our faith is that Jesus was bodily resurrected, that he physically had a restored and renewed and whole physical body, got up out of the ground after three days. It's not a ghost. It's not some sort of metaphor to help the disciples cope. We believe that Jesus actually got up out of a grave 
and is alive and was alive and is still alive today in a resurrected body. Now, and I'm sure in a room like this, especially on Easter, especially when people are visiting and, and someone drug you here, your family member, whoever that may be, there's probably folks in this room that really struggle with that idea, that, that Jesus got up out of the grave. He is alive, a physical resurrection. Some of you doubt it. You're welcome here. That's okay. Some of you question. Some of you, it confuses. All of those things, let me say, wherever you are, you are welcome here. And actually, you're, you're, you're pretty much in, in good company. I want to look at these words again that we just heard here. Look at this, uh, verses 10 and 11 of, of uh, Luke 24. It says, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. They're going and proclaiming the resurrection that they saw. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. Now, as a side note, women in that day were not legally allowed to give testimony. If a woman was testifying, that wasn't seen as true. They would not allow women to do that. So not only do they have the cultural barriers that are standing there, they hear this news that Jesus is alive, not just gone, not just some idea that's raised in our hearts, but he's alive. And his disciples think it's nonsense. His disciples think this is out of your mind to think that he is alive, even though they'd spent all this time with him. So if you're here today and you doubt this resurrection, you doubt this reality that, that really centers the entire Christian faith, that everything is founded upon, you're in good company. You're in really good company, the disciples themselves. In fact, there's another story in a different uh, setting of the resurrection, a different telling in Matthew. It says, when they saw him, speaking of the resurrected Jesus, they worshiped, but some doubted. Some doubt it. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The risen Jesus is standing in front of you. The risen Jesus. And some, what do they do? They doubt it. So I don't know where you are today in this reality. I don't know if it's something that you struggle with, you wrestle with, if it's a doubt for you. Just know you are welcome. You are in good company. And yes, we kind of agree with you. It's, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. They think it's nonsense. They think it's doubt. It's something that, that even the people most devoted to them had a hard time comprehending. It's outside of the spectrum of possibilities. Someone that gets brutally beaten to within an inch of their life to where they couldn't even recognize them and then nailed to a, a wooden cross, that person doesn't typically become alive again. So the reality we want to build today on is, is this reality I think we can all agree with, is that the resurrection just doesn't make sense. Nothing about this makes sense. Can we agree on that today? The resurrection does not make sense. Nothing about it does. As brutal of a death as he died, and to be in the tomb for three days, and then to come back to life, that doesn't make sense any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. But it's not just Jesus' resurrection that doesn't make sense. If you look back on his life in general, his whole life does not make sense. 
I mean, think about it. If he's God in flesh, if he's born, he's born in the middle of this barn a bunch of, around a bunch of animals set in this trough where they put their mouths in. That's disgusting. A lot of hand sanitizers around that. I would be grossed out. There's probably animal dung everywhere. And he's the king of the universe born into this mess. And then you would expect something to happen pretty profound, but then he goes and he lives in obscurity for 30 years. Between birth and a few little details we got about when he was 12, there is no record whatsoever of Jesus at all until he's 30. Almost 30 years of complete and utter obscurity. If you're starting a movement, at least start when you're young. Get your YouTube hits up. Make it happen here. But he doesn't do anything. He never wrote a book. He never made some sort of a temple that he set in and made everybody come to him. And then when he begins his ministry, he picks 12 followers, and these aren't the cream of the crop. These are fishermen. These are everyday people, probably mostly uneducated. If they were fishermen, and if they were tax collectors, these are not the folks that everybody would want to pick. These are the last place sort of people. These are the folks that are at the end of the line, and these are the people he picks to be his disciples. That, too, does not make sense. And then the ministry begins, and he goes around, he, he starts healing the sick. People who were sick become well. People who were dead become alive. People who were outcast begin to be welcomed in. People who were turned off by religion and turned off by the world that had been thrown upon them, Jesus welcomed them. And none of that makes sense. Nothing about his life at all makes sense. Especially when he says he's a new king. And he's bringing a new kingdom. He's bringing a brand new reality right in the middle of the powers of Rome. Right in the middle of the powers of this world. And that would have made no sense back then. And it definitely doesn't make sense now. It doesn't make sense at all that Jesus would speak that and live that out. And if there's one thing that us human beings, when we find something that doesn't make sense, when we find something or someone that, that doesn't fit within our framework, our reality, what do we do with people and things and ideas that don't fit our reality? What do we do with them? We stamp them out. We push them down. We kill them. We get rid of them because if it threatens our autonomy, if it threatens our power, if it threatens our influence, our control, we will make sure that we cut it out. And so the religious leaders begin to plot to kill Jesus. I say, let me say that again, religious leaders plotting to kill a bit of an, a, a, a misnomer, but it's actually true. These religious leaders, the people who are in charge of religion in the day, begin to plot Jesus' death because he was a threat to their power. He was a threat to their autonomy and their control. And in John 11, they begin to argue their plan. They begin to talk about what it looks like. So look at this. It says, if we let him go on like this as he's teaching and healing... Everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. We'll get out of power. We'll lose what we love the most. And one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. 
You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. So the head religious guy says, I'd rather one guy die than Rome come in and make sure everybody dies. I want one person to die and not everybody to die instead of my whole nation, instead of everybody else. And Caiaphas, this religious leader that hated Jesus, did not know it. But while he was planning the most heinous act in the history of mankind, killing God, there was something else at work. There was something profound. There was something beautiful. There was something ancient before the foundations of the world that was taking place. Because even though Jesus was dying in a brutal way, even though they beat him and they flogged him and they nailed him to a cross naked and they hung above him this this sign that said King of the Jews, which was a mocking sign to say, this is your power, this is your, your king. Let me show you what our power can do. Let me show you what our authority can do. Our power and our authority, our government can take your little power, your little king, and we could humiliate it. We could decimate your power. We put your power to death. We put your king to death in the most humiliating way possible. But yet the most grotesque brutality was accomplishing something that became the most significant event in history. On the cross, it wasn't just Jesus that was dying. Our sin and our brokenness and all of the worst that humanity had brought upon this world was dying with Jesus. We gave him our worst And Jesus on the cross took our words, took our brokenness, took our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He made the one, speaking of Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus died, both the power and the penalty of our sin, of all our brokenness and failures and regrets and mistakes, it all died with him. In Jesus' body, sin was absorbed in every shred of our brokenness. For you, for me, for all of humanity was absorbed. And when he died, that died with it. That's why we sing about something so brutal like a death on a cross because that death on a cross took away the power and the penalty of our sin. Caiaphas, this man who hated Jesus, didn't know it, but he was prophesying. It was better for one man to die for all than for everyone to die. And one man did die for all in the life of And the death of Jesus. And if that's where the story ends, everything makes sense. If that's where it stops, Jesus is just an inspiring example for us. A good teacher who has some good ideas, but that's just not where the story ends. The story continues to Sunday. The story doesn't end in death. In fact, there's a brand new beginning. Jesus is raised from the dead. Look what they say in Acts 2 when Peter's preaching his first sermon after the resurrection. Listen how he describes this. He says, the man 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But listen to this. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible, impossible for death to keep its hold on him. After three days in the tomb, Jesus was raised not as a ghost, not as a nice idea, not as an ideal or an example for our future. Jesus was raised to life fully and completely alive, more alive than any of us in this room are right now. And let's once again make this clear. That doesn't make sense, does it? Just be real, that doesn't make sense. But if that's true, the implications are astounding. If it's true, if you're doubting that or you're, you're, you're struggling with that just for a moment, walk with me into the idea that if this is true, everything changes. Everything is different. He is the king that he promised to be. And his kingdom in this resurrection has now come to pass in this world right in the middle of the old one. If this is true, he's not just a nice teacher. He's not just an inspiring leader. He is Lord. He is king over the universes. There is no king. There is no prime minister. There is no president in this world, in the past, or in the future, or in the present that can rule over him. He is king over the kings. He is lord over the lords. He is risen. And in a world with the kings and the rulers and the presidents and all that we have, isn't that good news? We have a good king. The king we long for, the king we try every four years to vote for, we already have. That good king has come. And he says in Matthew 28, to all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is our authority. He is the one who rules over all things. If Jesus is alive and he has defeated death and sin, everything is different. Everything has changed. Jesus now has put death to death. And everything has changed. As N.T. Wright says, we could cope The world could cope with a Jesus who ultimately remains a wonderful idea inside his disciples' minds and hearts. The world cannot cope with a Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. And the reason that they cannot cope, the reason we cannot cope, and the reason it does not make sense is that a risen Jesus... The king of kings and the Lord of lords does not fit nice and tidy and wonderfully into our perfect American autonomous lives. He just doesn't. If he's a good teacher, if he's just a good example, sure, he fits. You can just bring him and carry him like an accessory, like a purse that matches the outfit. But Jesus is more than an example. He is that. He, he's more than a good teacher. He is that too. He is the risen king. 
And what we see in the rest of the New Testament is that the people who believe this and the people who receive this, this resurrected Jesus themselves begin living a life that simply doesn't make sense too. When you believe this news that doesn't make sense, you begin to live in a way that to the rest of the world, it just doesn't make sense. Rodney Stark is one of the most preeminent scholars of early Christianity. He's respected by both believers and non-believers. And in the early church, he describes this as the life that these Christians were living. This is how they responded. It says, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. Resurrection was spreading in the lives of people, and that did not make sense. It did not make sense to the people around them. There's letters, there's records of Roman leaders in the first and second centuries writing about Christians and saying things like, see how they love one another. There's records of early Christians when there's plagues in Roman cities and everyone is literally running out to save themselves. Christians running in. Because why fear death if Jesus is alive? Why fear death if resurrection is the foundational reality of your world? There's no reason to, so run towards the helping. Run towards the sick. Run towards the poor. Run towards the orphan and the widow because I'm not afraid anymore. Because Jesus is alive and he's made me alive. The sick were being healed in the lives of these people. The outcasts were being accepted People were being raised to life. Does it sound familiar? Because the life of Jesus was being lived out in these people's lives. They begin to be a people who Jesus was restoring. And as Jesus was restoring these people, they began to restore the world. And lives like that make as little sense then as they do now. If you live that way now, if you want to commit to a resurrection life now, it doesn't make sense. You see, I would argue today that the biggest hurdle we have is not some sort of intellectual issue with the resurrection. In fact, I would argue if you want to find it, there's, there's plenty of good historical evidence that this actually happened. I could show you some if you want to find some. There's some phenomenal, like, I can't believe how much evidence there really is based upon historical realities that Jesus actually got out of the grave. But, but I don't think that that's the main hurdle. I don't think the main hurdle is, is that, 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 that we can't grasp this supernatural reality. For some, yes, it's, it starts there, but I think the deeper level issue, the deeper level issue is not that we can't wrap our minds around this idea that Jesus is alive. I think the deeper issue is, is that deep down in our hearts, we know that if we receive this Jesus, if this Jesus gets a hold of us, then as a result, nothing about our life will make any sense. Nothing about it will. To the rest of this world, it will not make 
sense. You know what does make sense? I'll tell you what makes sense to this world. If you live for your own personal happiness and fulfillment above everything else, that makes sense to this world. If your job is simply about making money and not about benefiting others, if your job is just to benefit you and to make more money so you can have the right job and the right house and the right car and the right husband and the right wife and the right kids, the right opinions the right politics, then yes, your life will make sense to this world. If you go on hating the people that disagree with you, that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't believe like you, then yes, your life will make sense in this world. If all you pursue is this relentless ideal of your own self-sufficiency, if all you live for is your own consumerism, your own individualism, with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top, that makes sense to this world. That makes sense. But if Jesus is risen, then that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit anymore. See, if Jesus has risen, then no longer is my life about my happiness and my fulfillment. And it's not my ultimate pursuit. My self-centeredness turns to to God-centeredness and other-centeredness. My job becomes a mean of of having money to, to serve others and serve in my community. My family grows beyond my my husband, my wife, my kids, and it grows to to a group of people like this and people we're welcoming in. My, My home becomes not a refuge just for me to hide from the world. My home becomes a place of hospitality for others. If Jesus is resurrected, becoming, being loving is gonna be more important than being right. If Jesus is resurrected, then my identity as a Democrat or a Republican is usurped by my identity as a son or daughter of God. If Jesus is resurrected, then I love my enemies. I love the people who don't look like me and act like me and believe like me. If Jesus is resurrected, then I don't fall into the patterns of privilege and racism. I don't walk in those ways anymore. If Jesus is resurrected, then the poor become brothers and sisters and not legislative issues to deal with later, not projects. If Jesus is resurrected, we will live lives that will not make sense. This will not make sense to this world. It's because Jesus didn't come to make bad people good make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. I don't know about you today, but I don't want to live a life that makes sense. I don't. I don't want to be a part of a church that makes sense. I don't want to be a part of a church that makes sense to this world. Things like bringing backpacks to moms who've been addicted to drugs for their kids. That doesn't make sense. 2,000 eggs and meals for a community that someone came up to me while we were doing this on yesterday and said, nobody cares about this community. Said everyone forgets us. 
Loving those people doesn't make sense. I don't want to make sense. I don't. So today, the only thing that stands in the way of resurrection in your life is death. It's saying, I, Jesus, lay down this life that's about me. This life that's centered on my fulfillment, my hopes, my dreams, my desires above all things. I lay it down. I lay down this life that doesn't make sense and I come and I give you all of it and I want your life. Jesus, give me your resurrected life. Give me your life that doesn't make sense to this world because that's what I want. I love Watchman Nee says, our old history ends with the cross and our new history begins with the resurrection. I want new histories to begin today. I want old lives to be done today and I want new lives to begin today. Friends, God loves you where you are. He's not waiting for you to get it figured out. He's not waiting for you to get your crap together. That's not who God is. God is a God who is meeting you right where you are. And on the cross, he took the every single shred of your brokenness and mistakes and shame, that stuff you're carrying on the inside. He's saying, come and bring it to me and let it die with me and let me give you my life. As 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, in Christ we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. So leave the old and take up this resurrected life. He did not come to make you good. He did not come to make you better. He came to make you alive. I want to pray for us. And that's something that's happened in your heart today. I encourage you, don't leave this place the same. Bring your life to Jesus. Bring the old to Jesus and take up the new. Every week we celebrate these elements. It's a tradition that Jesus started. It's, it's a meal, a family meal, where we take the bread in this cup and it represents what Jesus did on the cross for us. The bread represents his body and the, the juice represents his blood. And on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, it was broken for you. Do this in remembrance me and likewise he took the cup he said this is the cup of my blood the new covenant shed for your sins for my sins take it drink it in remembrance of me I pray you respond I pray you respond some of us who are followers of Jesus you come and you take these elements remember that Every single drop of your brokenness and sin fell on Jesus, and you are free. You are free. You are free. And you've been raised up to new life today and tomorrow, and from this point on, the old is gone, the new has come. But maybe you're here today, and you've, you've never taken that, that step of faith. You never said, I, I want to follow Jesus. What a perfect day. Say, I lay down the old life and I pick up the new life. I'm going to be back there in the back. Laura Marie is going to be back there. Some other people might be back there too. 
we'd love to pray with you. Just come back there. You don't have to come up here and make a big deal out of it. Let's pray. We'd love to pray with you about anything that's going on. If you want to come to faith or ask questions about that, if you're just dealing with something, we'd love to pray for you. But as we take communion together, we remember and celebrate what he has done for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, if you are a God who is dead, then we're just going through the motions. But you are alive, and you are alive in us. And by your resurrection today, I believe you are raising up new people to life. I believe you're raising up a resurrection people that in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our jobs are going to be the hands and feet of your resurrection in this world. And so today, Lord, we receive that. We receive your life. We lay down the old and we take up the new in you. We love you and we thank you for what you've done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand? And we have communion teams on either side. We tear off a piece of the bread. We dip it in the juice. And uh, if you're a follower of Christ, come and, and receive communion. And I mean, if you want to receive communion today is the first step of faith.